Praise God. Welcome this morning. We're so glad you're here. If you're a guest with us worshiping, we welcome you this morning. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Uh, don't forget, um, this is our, this is, this is the new normal for us. And that is after Sunday morning, we will have to break down. So please, if those of you would, that are able to help, if you wouldn't rush out of here, give us just a few minutes of your time. Uh, we can get this taken care of quickly. It doesn't take very long with the amount of people that we have. We have great help. And um, in fact, we had a, we had a meeting with uh, the trustees of Antioch. We're here this week, and I, don't get, I can't get into all the, what that means, but they're just... The external board was here this week, and um, they asked. So one of the members asked about the, the the trial of setting up and breaking down, and how, how is that getting old? And I said, you know what? Actually, I thought it was going to get old, but it actually has been awesome. And uh, to see and watch everyone come together. So, um, if you would help us tonight, help us this afternoon in doing so. Praise God. Uh, Luke chapter ten. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 17. Luke 10 and verse 17 reads this way. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto him, unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and old and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing shall by any means hurt you. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I don't feel like I need to say this, but I always like to make sure and repeat this. I never desire to come before you and deliver a sermon. I always come before you to desire to deliver what the Lord has put in my heart for the moment. That it's not just a sermon, but it is a message that we can speak, that can touch someone's life. And the way the Lord operates with me, it may be different for you, but the Lord operates with me. Sometimes He puts things in my spirit days before, sometimes weeks before, and other times moments before. This is a moment before. I was getting dressed this morning. I was standing in my bathroom uh, in fact, I was, I had my clothes on and I was about to do, uh, attempt to try to tame my hair and the Lord spoke this. I don't know if that was a spiritual moment of doing my hair. I have no idea. The Lord spoke this into my heart today. and I believe it's for someone in this place today. If I ask you to, to tell me what was the greatest battle in scripture, most of us, I feel like, at first would point to this scripture, maybe not the scripture exactly, but the purpose and the story behind this scripture. Because when I ask you what's the greatest fight, what's the greatest battle in scripture, most of us would point to the battle of good and evil, darkness and light, God and Satan. Sort of the picture of the proverbial Boxers squaring off before a fight for a, for a promo 
photo where they're both vista raised, looking at each other, staring each other down. And that's sort of the mentality that we have. It's God versus Satan and Satan versus God in this battle for humanity and all world domination. And yes, that is a scriptural battle, but can I tell you, it's not really a fight if the other party can't win. You can describe it as a fight, but let's be honest today. It's not really a fight if there's not an ability for one party to win. And the Bible, there's nothing in Scripture that gives the devil a chance to win. His fate was sealed from the beginning. The power of God, the deity of God, who God is, is greater than anything the devil has or can ever come up with. But can I point to you today that I feel like one of the, the greatest battle waged in Scripture and the greatest battle that's waged today is actually found still in the Gospel of Luke, but just a little farther down the road, chapter 22. Very familiar story to all of this. Verse 39 says, And he came out and went, and he, was, and he has wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I believe that this small portion of Scripture sums up the greatest battle in Scripture. And that is the fight between deity and humanity. The fight between God's will and my will. God's ways and my ways. God's thoughts and my thoughts. Because you see, I don't find anywhere in Scripture where the devil has the ability to defeat God. In fact, I find that actually God let the devil think that he was going to win, but it played into his hands. Because he said, if you would have known what was going to happen, you would have never crucified him. However, I can find in Scripture, and I even find here in the humanity of Christ Jesus and the deity and the struggle of the will, I can find where my humanity can defeat God's deity. Where my choice and my desire and what I want and what I, des and what I choose to be the path for my life can defeat the will of God for me. Today, i got to be honest with you. The line between you being saved or unsaved is not drawn by the adversary in your life. Does the devil do things in our life? Is, is it real? I mean, we talk about this devil guy. Is he real? Absolutely. Are there things in our life that come against us, that attack us? Absolutely. But bottom line, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
In fact, the Bible says just at the mention of the name, you don't even have to say anything else. All you've got to do is just say Jesus. In fact, I'm convinced you just got to get the J out. You don't even have to get the Esus. You just got to say J at the J. They know where it's going. Even at the first syllable, the J. You don't even have to get yet. The Esus is coming, but the J. Esus. At the J. The adversary goes, there's that word again. Don't say that word. Don't say that because why? At the mention of that word. At the mention of the name. So whether or not the devil in your life, that's not a big deal. Often say, you know, I've heard people say, don't talk about the devil. You'll get him worked up. Honey, if he ain't worked up yet, he ain't going to get worked up. (laughs) Goodness gracious. But bottom line, that's not the point. That's not going to be the line between saved and unsaved for you and me. The thing that's going to be saved and unsaved for you and me is going to be our will. And what do you do? We talk about this, it's proverbial saying that when you're backed into a corner, I'm coming out fighting, right? I'm kind of backed into a corner. And the proverbial idea backed into a corner is that when a crisis, a situation puts me in a place where I have no option but one way. And we look at that sometimes as sort of that, that human ability to reach down farther than we know how to do and reach way down and get some kind of fight or flight syndrome that causes us to bow our shoulders back, to raise up, lift our head high, and say, I'm coming out of this. But what happens when God backs you in a corner? And the only way out is through Him. You see, today we all have a choice. It is true. You all, we all have a choice. God cannot, will not violate my will. God cannot come down today and force any person in this room to do something against your will. He put that in you. That's one thing that makes us human. That's the essence of why when He created man in the garden, He created man with the ability to choose. He created man with a choice. And so He cannot violate that. However, He puts us in situations where the choice becomes real obvious. If I took you up today to a building in downtown Baltimore and we climbed up to the 20th or 30th story, depending on what building it may be, and we walked to the edge of the building and we stood there looking down at the street and I said, I'm going to give you a choice. You can jump or you can walk away. I've given you a choice. But we all know there's not really a good alternative to the choice. And the problem is what happens when God backs you in a corner? And God allows things in our lives and put things in our lives and, 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 and causes situations or, or allows situations to arise where we feel as if we're trapped and there's no way out but one way. And that way is not my will, but thine be done. 
Not my will, but thine be done. Because in order for any of us to see God do something in our life, through our life, and ultimately to be saved, That prayer is something that has to be prayed. And sometimes it's not prayed just once. It's not just prayed twice. But as you walk this journey of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, Paul said, I die daily. There is a choice that we all have to make daily that it's not my will, but it's your will. We sat yesterday, and I'm not here to repeat that for those of you that were here yesterday. We sat, Bishop Wright had a meeting, and he talked about it yesterday. And the bottom line is this. We base so much of our choices in our life based off what we think and how we reason to be the correct way. We sit and we analyze and we agonize and we try to figure out which is the right way. What's the best way? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the good and the bad? What's the pros and the cons? Sometimes we even go as far as we sit down and we write a list out. What's the pros? What's the cons? And we try to weigh it on the scale of decision because we're trying to figure out what's the best. But I've got to be honest with you. Oftentimes God doesn't really care about your scale. Because oftentimes what makes sense to him doesn't make sense to us. And oftentimes we make decisions on where we are right now, but God doesn't make decisions on where we are right now because the Bible says he sees the end from the beginning. That God doesn't make choices in our lives for what's just what good now, but he sees where we are now, he sees where we're going, and he sees what we're going to become. I've told this story before, and, and I know I've, mentioned, I've used this example many, many times, but I'll use it again because it, it's, it was such an impactful, it was a small thing, but it was an impactful thing in the, in the life of my wife and I. And I've told this story before. Years ago, we were, we were trying to get a car, and we needed a car. Our family was expanding, and we needed a little bigger car. And so uh, my wife was trying to figure out what car she wanted because she was going to be the main driver of that car and so we decided let's go out and, and look at some cars and we drove around and she found the car that she she liked she she really liked this car and, and so um, she went and she looked at it really liked it, it was, she liked everything about it all the features of it and I said okay well if that's what you want we'll go see if we can if we can uh make it work. We'll see what happens. And so I went in and I sat down with the, with the salesman and we began to negotiate and, and he, we had, I'd worked with him. It wasn't a guy I didn't know. In fact, I had a good relationship with him. I, we had, we had gotten several cars from him and actually my father had gotten several cars from him. And I believe my brother had actually done it. We had this good relationship with him over the years. And so we knew he could give us the best deal possible. So it wasn't as if we were having this back and forth kind of battle of the battle of the wits he was really legitimately legitimately trying to help us get into this car but it seemed like no matter how hard we tried the numbers just didn't match up to our satisfaction we, it could have we could have made it work we could have stretched here and cut back here and changed this around to make it work it just this it just didn't seem to add up and and I told my wife I said listen I don't know what it is it just it doesn't seem that it's not working and and I've learned that when the door's not there, don't bust it down. God didn't give you a battering ram. The name of Jesus is not a, a, a hammer to knock the obstacles out in your life so you can get your way. So the door wasn't there, and we just finally decided, you know what? I don't know, I can't tell you. 
can't get, it's not working out. She's like, okay, well, maybe it'll work out later. I said, well, maybe. So we waited a little while longer, and we, okay, we need a car. Well, that's not working out. Let's see what else is out there. And so we found this particular car uh, that, that we went and saw, and, and uh, we, 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 we looked at it, and, and she was sort of on the fence. She didn't really like it that much, but she, she was like, well, I, I don't know. Let's, let, let's see. And it had some really features that were good and some things she didn't like. And I said, well, at least let's just take it out for a test drive and, and at least see what it was. And so she got in the front seat, and the salesman got in the passenger seat, and I got in the back seat. And so her and I could have sort of this eye-to-eye contact through the rearview mirror because I was sort of sitting in the middle. And we drove off the lot, and we're driving down the road. And I watched, I could see in her eyes, and I watched this internal agony and struggle begin to take place as she drove this car. Because I could watch, and I knew what was happening. It wasn't some kind of spiritual discernment. I just knew my wife, and I could see it. I could watch as she was like, she didn't like it, but there was something about it. She's like, I knew God was working on. We got back to the, we pulled back around into the lot, the parking lot of the dealership, got out of the car, and the dealer, the guy walked in. He said, I got to go check a couple things. And he said, I'm at an so we'll be right in. I looked at her and said, What do you think? She goes, This is literally exactly, she goes, I think the Lord wants us to get this car. It wasn't like, This is the one God wants us to have. This is great. It's like, I guess, it's just, I feel like God wants us to get this car. Like, well, don't back it back down the excitement there a little bit. Don't be overjoyed. I said, well, you know, let's see. Didn't work out last time. Let's go in and let's see. I walked in. I didn't know this guy. I knew the first guy. I knew him well. In fact, I mean, half the time with the last with the guy before, there was no negotiation necessary. He got us the bottom dime deal without a problem. I didn't know this guy. We'd found this dealership. Well, randomly, we saw this guy, had no relationship with him, walked in, didn't have to do the hassle, the, the, the dance, the dealership dance, you know, that whole thing. Walked in, and the guy said, here, let's, I'll tell you what we can give you this card for. Wrote it down, and I looked at the number, and I said, are you kidding me? Really? He goes, no, that's what we can give it for. I'm like, I looked at my wife and said, that's below our budget. And again, she's like, well, I guess the Lord wants us to have this car. Make a long story short, we got it. Got the car. And the Lord is so awesome. And this is sort of the, the culmination of the story. Six months down the road, so she started driving the car and um, actually really started liking it. And six months down the road, we went to a conference. And when we went to the conference, we had an opportunity to rent a car. And, you know, you go one. I don't remember who it was. Avis. I believe at the time we had, a, we had an account with Avis. And so we got a car with Avis. And you don't really pick out your car. You say you want this type car. But that's why it says on that, it'll say, you know, Chevy, uh, you know, Avalanche or similar. It's a similar. It doesn't tell you exactly what car. So I think we had picked a, like a, uh, some kind of uh, a, a four-door car. SUV, but we didn't know what it was. Well, lo and behold, when we got there, the guy behind the desk said, well, you know what? We don't have this car. However, we do have this particular car. And when he said the name, I looked at her and go, that was the car that we were going to get. So we got that car. We were there for seven days. And can I tell you, at the end of that seven days, she hated that car. She's like, I can't wait to park this car and go back to my other one. Why do I tell that story? Because in that moment, 
if I was doing my own decision, I would have made a deal work and I'd have got a car that I thought I wanted, but in the end would have been unhappy. But because I left the decision up to Him, God gave me what I thought I didn't want, but in the end it what I was and what I did. We want everything to make sense. We want it all to be laid out. We want God to give us all of this and it makes sense. But the Bible says, I have not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't even entered into the heart and the mind of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. I call that living a life without your senses. We're so used to living our life based off our five senses. What we can touch, what we can taste, what we can feel, what we can see, what we can hear. And everything in our life is based off that. We make our decision today when we go to a restaurant or you go out to eat. You're going to smell something when you get in there. And that smell may make you have a decision on what you're going to eat. I don't really eat a lot of sweets, and, and partly it's not because I try to be super healthy. I'm just not a big sweet person. But the other night, my wife had to make some stuff for she was preparing lunch for the trustees this week, and she makes these things. It's like if a cookie and a brownie got together and made a baby. It's called a cookie brownie thing. It is it's amazing. And so I had gone out. She had made it, and when I came home, and I walked in the door, and I walked up the stairs, and that just hit me. I mean, just struck me. All of a sudden, I wasn't even hungry, but when I smelled that, my immediate reaction was, where are they? i got to have me one right now. Because that smell activated something in me that made me make a choice. That's how we are wired as human beings. But the problem is, that doesn't always work with God. Because what I can see, and what I can feel, what I can touch, what I can taste, and what I can hear, often doesn't match up with God. It doesn't make sense. And I feel like today, as the Lord spoke that today, and me standing in my, before my sink this morning, and God spoke this to me today, I don't know who you are. I don't know. And I'm not saying that as a cop-out. It might be one. It could be a hundred. I don't know. But today, God has sent me into this place because somebody is in a wrestling match, and you're in a fight, and there is only one way out of where you are, and that is to come to the end and say nevertheless not my will but thine be done God is not I'm telling you this in the Holy Ghost you can think I'm crazy you can believe me or not you can think I'm being overhyped and all and, and, and often I'm telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost God is not going to change your situation until the dying process is complete well I feel that in the Holy Ghost because the Bible says Take up your cross and follow me. In order to follow Christ, we must have a cross in our life. There's going to be a point in time in your life where you're going to have to face your cross. For years, Bishop Wright called it an, an agent of crucifixion. 
You're going to fall on the rock or the rock's going to follow you. But one way or the other, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go through a dying process. There's no way around it. I can't preach you around it. We can't sing you around it. We can't pray you around it. You can't fast your way around it. You can't read your Bible away around it. There's only one way to get through it, and that is you've got to be willing to come to the end of yourself and speak the words of Jesus Christ and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But bottom line is this. You can't crucify yourself. Crucify yourself would be committing murder. God won't let you crucify yourself. You can pray in all sincerity. That's why, have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, I want to, I want to be saved. I want to be used of you. God, I put, my, I put my will, I lay my will down. Help me to die. You pray these prayers. And you're thinking that that's going to cause God to say, God, it's done. But usually those prayers are always accompanied by a crisis. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Be careful before you pray it. If you've never prayed it, this is a word of caution. It sounds real good, but I'm going to tell you the price tag associated with. Lord, I want to know you. God, I want to get closer to you. I want to have a relationship with you. That's a great prayer to pray. But there's a slight cost to that prayer. Because the Bible says no flesh will glory in his presence. That means to get closer to him, I've got to have less of my flesh alive. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to answer your prayer. And all of a sudden your life goes to hell. Wait a minute. I'm trying to get closer to you, God. Shouldn't that make my life easier? Why is my life getting crazier? Why is it I prayed that prayer and it seems like things have gotten more difficult in my life? Because he's answering the prayer. Because he's answering it because between here and there, there's a cross. There's a cross. And we're talking about We've been pushing the theme. And next year, it's going to be a theme of discipleship, becoming a disciple. But there's one thing that's common between becoming a disciple. There's a difference because you see, you can become a Christian without a cross, but you cannot become a disciple without a cross. You see, a Christian is a believer and you can believe without a cross, but you cannot become a disciple of Jesus Christ without a cross. That's why today our world is filled with Christians, believers that fill churches every Sunday. But there's no cross in their life. They come and they never change. They come and they participate in God knows what throughout the week. And they come in and they give their token and they walk away. They're believers. Yes, they're believers. But they're not disciples. Because a disciple has to die. A disciple has got to be willing to lay themselves down. A disciple has got to go through the crisis moment. He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he pointed to a man and he said, I'm going to, put, I'm going to build my rock. I'm going to build my church on you. Great, that's awesome. I'm Peter. Yes, hey. Hey, John, guess what? I'm going to be the head of the church. Just start calling me St. Peter. I'm the first pope. Go ahead. Give me my hat. I'm ready to go. He didn't realize 
between that moment and Acts chapter 2, there had to be a crisis. Do you know him? I don't know him. Hey, wait a minute. You're one of those fellows that used to walk around. Well, who, me? No, it can't be me. And I believe when the, when the sounds of the cock crowing echoed in the ears of Peter, he did not hear the, the crowing of an, an, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an animal, but he, had, he heard the driving of nails because that was his cross. You see, we look at a cross as something so terrible. We look at it as something of agony. We look at it and it's repulsive. It is absolutely everything in me resists and shuns it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because we're built as human beings. There's a survival, survival mode that's built it in us. You hear stories all the time of people doing incredible feats of human strength and ability and perseverance when they're put into a survival situation. You hear stories of people trapped in rubble after earthquakes that survive for days and days just because of the will and the desire to live. It's built in you a desire to live. Nobody in here today wakes up and says, boy, I hope today I die. There's a desire in all of us to live. We want to live. But the Bible gives us a a true definition of life because in our world, life and living is associated with how much you have and the pleasure that comes with this. But the Bible talks about the true life. True life. To live is to die. To live in God is to truly die. Why? Not to die physically, but that I die to myself. And that he can therefore live through me. And then Paul said, the life that I live, but I live on my own, but I live through the faith, the grace, the Son of God. You know why some of you, can I be honest with you? Don't answer this question. Just answer it internally. How many of you, when you think of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ or living this walk, how many of you think, man, this is so hard? I don't, I, don't, I don't like to use the term living for God, but let's just use it in this context. How many of you think living for God? It's hard. Man, living for God is tough. That's what living people say. That's what the living say. Man, this is coming. I know, brother, right? What a, how much more do you want of us? How much more? We've got, now we're going, we come to gathering on Sunday. We've got small groups, and now you want us to become a disciple. And we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to go through training. We're going to learn to all this. I mean, come on, i got my life to live. You're right. You've got your life to live. You're right. 
And as long as you live your life, he can't live through. But you see, the devil is a master of this. Because why? I've lived this life. I know what it's like to go through that dying process. And I know what it's like. And there'll be another time I'll have to go through it again. But I know what it's like. I remember the crossroad that I was brought to in my life. Because my entire upbringing in my own thought process about who I was and where I was going I, I, I thought I was heading this way I, that's what I thought I just that's who I had in my mind I was going this way and then somewhere along the line God said no no that was your mentality that was your thought process now let me tell you what my will is and God gave me a hard right turn and I was at a moment of crisis in my life and I remember during that point of time it was boiling inside It was rough. I think I've told this story before, but it, it was, it, this is the truth. I can't hide it. I used to love, this was back when we were at Annapolis Senior High. Those of you that were there during the time. We were at Annapolis Senior High School. That was the building collapsed, and we were having Sunday night service there. And, and, and I'd come to, I'd sneak in because they had a back entrance where we brought all the equipment in. So I could drive around, come in the back, and the way it was, the curtains, I could sit. I could be in service. And the bishop could see me so I wouldn't get in trouble, but nobody else had to see me. And I'd sit there. Because I didn't want anything to do with that. I was so internally in a struggle. I remember it had got to the point where it was eating on me and eating on me and eating on me. And one night after service, I was just mad. I was mad. I didn't know why. I was just mad. That sort of that last piece of the toothpaste being squeezed out of the tube. I guess that's what it was. I was just, oh, I was mad. I'm sitting in my car trying to get out of there, and I saw Brother Shelton coming. And I wanted to leave, but I'm afraid the Lord would strike my car down. So I figured, well, you know what? I'd be, I should at least stop for a moment and see what he has to say. I really want to run over him and everybody else, but I probably shouldn't do that. I sat there and he came in and he asked me the dumbest question. The dumbest question. He said, he tapped on a window. Rolled down the window. He asked me this really brilliant question. What's wrong with you? What do you mean what's wrong with me? I got so mad. I was like, I don't know. And I took my fist and I smashed it into the, into the steering wheel. And I had a Jeep. And that little symbol said Jeep. And I hit so hard. It split that, it split the symbol in half and ripped the steering wheel in half. I don't know how this, I guess it was the Lord's grace that the airbag didn't blow my head off. It was that, it was that moment in the garden where Peter chopped off the sword and Jesus healed it. That was Jesus like, you know, okay, here, let me put the airbag. Really what I want to do is that thing blow your head off, but I'm love. Literally, I just, I mean, I smashed that thing. Split it right down the middle. I was so angry. Finally got to the boiling point. I had enough. I got in my car. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody where they going. I got in my car and I just drove. I didn't know where I was driving to. I just was driving. I don't know what I thought that was going to solve, but I figured it was better than sitting around. I drove everywhere. I drove, when I say everywhere, literally, I mean, I, was, I drove up to Pennsylvania. I drove to West Virginia. I rode to Pennsylvania. I was everywhere. I slept in a truck, truck in, a, in a rest stop in the back of my truck. I cried until I couldn't cry anymore. Finally, I found myself 
about the, it was the third day. I spent two nights, and this was the third morning. I'm laying in the back of my Jeep. Some of you have heard me tell the story. I'm laying in the back of my Jeep. I'd laid the, it was a, I had a Jeep Cherokee at the time, and so I laid the two seats down. I used my golf bag as my pillow, and I had my leg, my, my, my head was on my golf bag at the back of the, the Jeep, and my legs went up through the center, up to the center seat, and that was my bed. And I'm laying there, and I was just at the point where I couldn't cry anymore. I had no tears left. I'm laying there, and I didn't even, at this point, you ever been to the point where you feel so guilty and you feel so ashamed of what you've done, you don't even feel like you're worthy to pray? I know some of you haven't been there. Some of us have. I was like, man, you are, you are just a joke. You are such a joke. Look at you. I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, I don't even, I can't even pray. I mean, what right do I have to pray? Look at the way you've acted. You look like a two-year-old laying back there. And all in that moment, all I could say was Jesus. Jesus. I didn't know it at the time. I do look back on it now and realize it. I didn't know it at the time. But every word of Jesus I spoke, the hammer of the nail, hammer hit the nail. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Laying in the back of that truck on a rest stop. The crucifixion of my will took place. But you know what? Here's the part that's so frustrating to me. Here's the second part of the story. When it all was said and done and we finally went, went, finally took, let the Lord go in the direction the Lord had spoken and, and started down that road, man, you're talking about an amazing journey. God did such amazing stuff. It was absolutely life-changing. And about six months, a year into that, I got mad again. But this time I wasn't mad because it was my will. I was mad because I let the devil trick me into believing that following God's will was going to make my life miserable. Because you see, that's the adversary's plan. If you give yourself to God, basically, you're going to be a miserable, sad sack. That all you're going to do is get up in the morning and you'll just have to sit there and pray and read your Bible and fast and you'll have no joy and nothing, you won't be able to do anything fun. And he makes it sound to be this horrible thing trying to get a child to eat their vegetables. We know it's good for us, but my God, the journey in eating it is horrible. And the adversary makes it out to be that way. And I'm telling you this right now in the Holy Ghost. That's how some of you are being lied to today. You're saying, if you give God control, He's going to mess it up, and it's going to be miserable, and God's going to, you know, hey, I tell this story all the time. When I was growing up, I wanted to, I wanted to get married. And well, the biggest thing of all is I wanted to marry who the Lord wanted me to have. But as I grew up, I had this fear. <laughs> what if God, God's will for me to marry is someone I think is ugly? 
you laugh. I, I had this series. And I could picture myself, really. I mean, I'm like 15, 16. I'm picturing myself standing at the aisle, right? Standing there. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm up there going, Jesus, your will. But oh my God, really, God? Do you, Joel, take this to be? I do. Oh, God, this is going to be bad. That's how I thought about it, literally. You laugh. That's what I thought. And there'd be times I'm like, God, I want your will. Please don't let her be ugly. <laughs> Lord God, please. Because I, I, that's, how, that's how I had convinced myself the decision was going to make. That's sort of the whole time. It's like, you may greet the bride. <laughs> oh, God. I love you with the love of Jesus, but oh my God, I got to wake up next to you every day. You laugh. That's exactly what I thought. I thought God was going to make me marry somebody I, I just thought was hideous. Because that's what the adversary does. Because he tries to make God's choices seem so repulsive. That if you do what God wants you to do, your life's going to be, you might as well just check, fix. All you're going to do, I mean, you might as well just move to a convent. That's what your life's going to be like. It's going to be a life of misery and depression and praying. Oh, what are you? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I just do what he asks me to do every day. And it's like, I don't want that. And that's what he was. But when I finally let him take control and I had that Gethsemane moment in the back of my Jeep and I prayed, not my will, but thine be done. I told God, I got to be honest with you. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe you don't see it this way. Maybe you're, I mean this, I mean this with all sincerity. Some of you are farther along in this journey than I, I am or was at the moment. And I said to God, God, I don't want to do this. But I said, Lord, I want your will. And I got to be honest with you. The peace and the blessing and the joy and the contentment that came after that decision changed my life. You see, I didn't see any of that on this side. Why? Because God doesn't want us to make the decision based off what we're going to get out of it. He doesn't dangle the carrot in front of you and say, if you give me this, I'll give you all this. And so you chase the miracle and not the God in the miracle. He withholds all that that's why if you would have been alive in the Old Testament and you walked up to the tabernacle and you would have seen it, you would have gone, there is where God dwells. It was dyed red with badger skins. It was hideous looking. It wasn't gold and glittery. I mean, come on, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It should have been blinged out. It should have had all the greatest things. It should have looked beautiful, but he made it ugly because he didn't want the choice to be what looks good. He wanted you to pursue what was inside. 
He didn't want you to make the choice because, oh, I want to go to that church. They've got the best of the best or they got the best. I'm not saying that, but take cake within context. He wanted to go, where are you at, God? Where is your presence? And I don't look, it doesn't look good. It looks red. It looks terrible. But I know in that place is where your presence abides. And if my flesh doesn't like it, it doesn't matter because I want you. And you know what? He doesn't dangle the stuff in front of us. He doesn't say, you know, John, if you do my will, I'm going to give you all of this. God says, just do my will. But God, what? What am I going to get? Just do my will. But what am I going to get in return? No, no, no. Just do my will. What's going to happen if I do my will? So what do we do? Because we're human beings, we fill in the blanks. And we fill in the blanks with, well, if he's not telling me what I'm going to get out of it, what? What could go wrong? And so then we get this choice between doing God's will and all the negative things that could happen if that's the case. Listen to the adversary lie into our ears. Don't do it. Don't do it. So God, what does God do? God brings us to a crisis moment. He puts us in a corner. It says, I'm going to give you a choice to die. But it's not really a choice. Did Jesus have a choice in that garden that day? Sure, he had a choice. But really, he didn't have a choice. He already knew. He had prophesied it. I'm telling you today, the Holy Ghost, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your, what your thought process is. And I'm not saying this to new. I feel like whoever this is or the people that this, this is a mixture of people that have been here a short time. Some of you have been here for a while, but you're at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads of will. You're at a crossroads of choice. You're at a crossroads of will. What and who's going to run your life? And the only choice really is today, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Take up your cross. If you desire today, you see, there were many people in the Bible that were believers, but there were very few followers. There were believers by the thousands that lined up to get touched, to be healed, to be ministered to, to be fed. They were believers, Brother Jenny, by the thousands. In fact, we know on two occasions there were at least 9,000 believers, five in one and four in the other. There were believers in the Bible, but they came to get what they could get out of it. But when it came down, we found 120 followers that were gathered together in an upper room that were seeking him more than anything. Those followers had to deal with persecution. Those followers had to deal with things in their life. Those followers had to be willing to give up their livelihood. God's not asking you to give up your jobs. You can relax. But they had to give up their job. They had to, some, and even we find that 
Paul in particular, we know because of the position he held, he was more than likely married, and we never find anything about his wife or family at all. More than likely, somewhere along the line, he had to give up his family because of the will of God. But can I be honest with you? Someone who's experienced this first and firsthand, what you get in return is such life-changing that in the end, your frustration won't be in the dying process. Your frustration won't, will be that you didn't die sooner. And can I tell you today, you have a choice. But really, there's only one true choice. Not my will, but thine be done. If you're really going to follow Jesus Christ today, there's only one choice. Not my will, but thine be done. Chris, if you'd come. Not my will, but thine be done. I don't know who you are today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what crisis you're faith, facing. But I feel like today somebody in this place you're pinned in on both sides. Some may even describe it as you feel trapped. And whatever the circumstances are, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's family, whether it's job, whether it's life circumstance, whatever it is, whatever has caused that, the fact of the matter is it's here. The purpose of that is, is because God desires in your life to bring a death to your will so that in return he can live in you and through you. But you know what? I can't make it for you. I can't make this choice for you. It's a choice you've got to make. And today you might say, God, I give you my will. I turn it over to you. And you might mean that with all of sincerity, but I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to get up in the morning and make that same choice. Because you can lay down on the cross today, but get up on Monday morning. And that's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day I got to make that choice. He must live through me. He must live through me. He must live through me. That's why Paul said it this way, I must decrease that he might increase on your scale today or in the gas tank of your life what is filled more with you or him but I come to church brother right I'm here today aren't I yeah you're here that's great but let's be honest that two hours on a Sunday doesn't really do anything compared to the totality of your week. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm telling somebody today in the Holy Ghost, with, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to be dramatic. I feel what I feel in the Holy Ghost. Somebody today, if you would let God do what He wants to do, and you would turn your will over to God, not only will God change your circumstance and situation but you're going to step into a season and a place in God you have never been but it's got to come through the cross it's got to start 
with a cross. It's got to start with a nevertheless. What do the he- three Hebrew children say? You're standing before, and I'm, I'm trying to finish, but, but I'm just trying to be sent to the Holy Ghost. Those three Hebrew children, boys, Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, Boys, if you don't bow when the music starts, you're going in the fire. And they said, We're not going to bow. We're going to stand. And if you put us in the fire, we believe God was going to deliver us. But if not, but if not, you see, I can come to you and say, God, today, I die, I want to die out your will so that I can get all the good stuff. The attitude today is, God, I die out to my will that you may live. And if I don't get anything in return, I still have a but if not. I still want to die to you and my will. Somebody today, you need to make the choice right now in this moment. This is your opportunity. The window is open. The door is here. God's brought this moment, this divine place. You've got to make a choice. God's not wanting you to make it tomorrow, next week, next month. He said, I want to hear what you have to say today in this moment, in this place. Is there somebody that's willing to say, not my will, but thine be done? Not my will, but thine be done. I know we often, I don't like to do this a lot of times because there's nowhere scripturally that this is a scriptural thing and we've made it into a scriptural thing. There's no such thing as an altar in front of a church scripturally. We've made it that way, and, but there's no, God doesn't work in one place better than others. However, there is a point in time where actions can speak to the attitude of our heart. As James says, faith without works is dead. There's something sometimes where my actions help match up with what I'm speaking. And I feel like today's one of those days because I feel like somebody needs to get out of their seat as a sign of what you're saying. Come down here and lift up your hands and say, Lord, I'm moving and standing here because I want your will in my life. Nevertheless, I feel like getting out of your seat today, coming down here for somebody is a nevertheless moment. Can God do it where you are? Absolutely. But I feel like today as a part of a nevertheless moment, is you getting out of your seat, coming down here and saying, God, in this moment, I want your will in my life. I can't make you do it. I can't come back there and grab you by the hand. Some of you, I want to very badly, but the Lord won't let me do it because it's not about me. It's not about me desiring for you. You've got to make the choice. But Somebody today, you need to make the choice. You say, well, I don't know what I'm signing up for. Don't worry about that. He'll figure that out. He's got it all mapped out. But he's not going to give you the end of the story until you're willing to say, God, here's a blank check. Here's the blank check. That's scary for us humans to give God a blank check. But you know what? Don't worry. God's not asking you to give anything more than you already have. He's just asking you to give you. Come on, that's it. Come on, there's some that's responding. I feel like there's several of you that God's working on. The Holy Ghost has spoken to you today. You felt the prick. The voice came from heaven and spoke to Saul that day and said, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? How long are you going to kick against the pricks? How long are you going to resist my pricking? 
How long are some of you going to continue to feel the nudge of God in your life, but continue to kick against the pricks and say, not today, God. Not today, God. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. But you know what? Today. Today. Have a Damascus moment and say, okay, here it is, God. I don't want to kick anymore. I feel the tugging of your spirit. I feel the pricking of you in my heart. And today, God, I choose to make that choice. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Hatorobokoshe. Isiadro romokoria tarata shekatorobokusi. Itarando robokoria dalalamanda rata yeki arando loboshe. Come on, it doesn't have to be an emotional thing. You may feel something, you may not. It's not about an emotion. It's a choice. You some of you wait for the emotion. I don't feel anything. You don't have to feel anything. Dead people don't feel. You never ask a dead person, do you feel dead? It's a choice. You're either alive or dead. Hallelujah. 